Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm dealing with the subject of how to have fellowship with God and maintain it. Much of my thinking has been shaped by the first epistle of John, in which John clearly states that one of his purposes for writing the letter was, and I quote, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, thus far, we've established these principles of fellowship from this epistle. First, if we are to have fellowship with God, we must first believe such is possible. Secondly, there must be transparency on our part, meaning an honest reality of our true spiritual state. And third, we need to retrain our minds to realize that God's presence is always with us and therefore engage Him as a companion. But John doesn't leave it there. We must be diligent to maintain fellowship with the Lord, and here John gives us these principles. Keep your confession of sin up to date. Keep your obedience up to date, and keep your brotherly love up to date. Now, I'm not taking the time to expand on these three principles since we've already done that in the last few episodes. If you've not heard those podcasts, then please go back and listen to them and then come back to this episode. Today, I want to deal with the next principle for maintaining fellowship with God. It's keeping your focus eternal. In other words, having and maintaining an eternal perspective, and not an earthly or temporal focus. And this is what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John gives us the two spectrums of human perspective, and these are the only two. Either you have a temporal view of life, meaning a view that believes all of life consists here in this world, or you have an eternal view of life, meaning life is more than an allotted time on this earth, and that after death life continues. With the eternal view, a person keeps within their sight life forever. Decisions are made with that conviction, and even if a person with a temporal view believes in life after death, they never or seldom take eternity into serious consideration when making life's decisions. Let's call the temporal view of life the best life now perspective. According to this outlook, this is as good as it gets. 
All of life is now, and we must make the best of it. With this mentality, the heart goes out to the highest bidder, whatever fascinates it most. This is why the human heart is called an idol factory, churning out idols like an assembly line. It's captured by one fascination after another. When an attraction appears more glamorous and promising than the existing enchantment, the heart forsakes its present fascination for the shinier and brighter prospect. The eternal perspective, which we will call the best life yet to come view, has one ultimate fascination. The allure and appeal of Christ Jesus captures the heart that believes the best life is yet to come. This is the overarching longing, the principal passion. Christ is the highest pursuit, especially the promise of sharing all eternity with him, and he sharing his glory with those who idolized him. Therefore, it's not unreasonable to say that you cannot be in fellowship with Jesus if something is more fascinating to you than Jesus. In fact, our Lord said this. First, he commanded the best life yet to come view and prohibited the best life now outlook. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. According to Jesus, the best life now view is not the best. Whatever is built for here and now will not last. It can't last. Whatever is accumulated, achieved, or appreciated will not survive the destructive forces of the here and now. Those forces are described as the moth, rust, and thieves. The moth represents the myriads of natural enemies that can destroy all you've acquired. Natural disasters such as floods and fires. Violent storms and earthquakes, all of these are natural enemies that can wipe out one's treasures. Inflation, recession, and depression are all natural financial disasters. The moth also signifies the invasion of bacteria, viruses, or any other debilitating disease that robs you of wealth, health, and even life itself. Rust depicts the natural erosion of time. We are born to die. From the moment of death, we begin the life cycle of decay. Just as a newly smelted piece of metal begins to decay as it's assaulted by both oxygen and its environment. Thieves represent not just those who would take from us what doesn't belong to them, but every other enemy that will rob us of our dreams and aspirations. The Word represents the greatest thief of all, Satan, whose mission Jesus said, was to steal and kill. No treasure, no fascination, and no idol can escape these forces. They will not endure the test of time. At some point, they cease to be or will cease to exist on this earth. No vault made can solve these temporal dilemmas. Either riches will not last or 
we will not last to enjoy them. Jesus presents and commends an alternate view. He says in verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures into heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. There is a safe place to invest. With the peace of mind of a secure deposit, not only is the investment safe, but dividends are guaranteed. The best life yet to come perspective is based upon the eternal truth that life is going to improve for those who trust in Christ when life is over in this world. But it also teaches that life now can be better with Christ than without Christ. The Christian is living their best life now compared to their life before becoming a Christian. But life will be exponentially better when death in this world comes or when Christ returns and no enemy can destroy or deteriorate that eternal joy. In fact, the joy will eternally increase as more of Christ we learn and behold. The richest person or the most famous individual knows no such ecstasy. The pleasure of heaven will make the greatest enjoyments of earth seem miserable. But there is a rub, a fly in the ointment for many who call themselves Christians. They cannot hold to both the best life now and the best life yet to come views. The human heart is so designed that the two views are incompatible. The heart can only treasure one above the other. That is why Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This means the heart can have only one ultimate fascination. It may have a hundred and one different fascinations, but there will be only one to rule over them. Only one will have the top billing. Only one will have the top priority of affection, and that one will affect how the heart feels about the lesser fascinations. The best life yet to come holds up Christ as the only one worthy of supreme loyalty, and that is the foundation of any communion with God. He will not be a competitor for your affections, not because he has an excessively large ego but because he is truly worthy of all your heart. If you were to ask me why it is that meaningful and real fellowship with God is difficult for you, I would most likely start by asking, where is your heart? What are its top desires and affections? What moves you to enthusiasm more than anything or anyone else? The heart will be fascinated. It will be taken with something more than the rest of your other attractions. If Christ is not it, then fellowship will not exist. He is to be your chief love, your best friend, your true spouse, and he will only respond to such overtures of the soul. Anything less is beneath his relational deserving. In other words, if you say you love him, but not to the degree he deserves, then you've grieved his spirit. It's no different than if your heart was given to something else or someone else more than your spouse. How could there be good dialogue and intimate fellowship if your spouse doesn't have but part of your heart? 
If life with Christ is not your present fascination, then, well, my friend, you're infected with the world, which is what worldliness is all about. Again, John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. We often wrongly define worldliness. Worldliness is not to be defined by behavior, but rather by the affection of the heart. That's why John says, do not love the world. To be worldly is associated most often with conduct and lifestyle choices. Most Christians think that if a man is a drunkard or a woman is a prostitute or those given to violence and perversions, those are the worldly ones. Well, they are, yes, but their actions do not make them worldly. They are merely the fruit of their worldliness. Others think those who pursue worldly things such as wealth, fame, and power are worldly, and again, they are, but it's not their pursuits that make them worldly. Instead, it is the love of their hearts that dictates their worldly behavior. This also means that a person who does none of those things already listed but appears to live a very moral and upstanding life can be just as worldly. They may not drink, follow sexual perversions, or seek the world's wealth and notoriety, but they can still be guilty of worldliness because the way or system of the world captures their heart. For example, a member of a Bible-believing church can attend faithfully, give regularly to the church. They can be law-abiding citizens and excellent neighbors. But suppose they live according to their common sense or compromise by keeping silent for Christ, not giving testimony for Him when the opportunity arises. In that case, it proves their heart loves the world's approval more than God's pleasure. This, my friend, is at the heart of worldliness. It's to put more of your spiritual stock in the world than in Christ. Such a one could actually profess Christ, not because of their love for the Lord, but to have what they would consider their best life now. They see religion as setting them up here on this earth in comfort and prosperity. They believe Christianity promises them the world's best. But that's nothing more than the spirit of the age, which is worldliness. Jesus warned his apostles to be careful and vigilant against this worldly spirit. He said in Luke 21, 34, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. The word carousing means an excessive indulgence in pleasure. This means any pleasure found in this world, whether good or evil, wholesome or perverted. If your source of greater pleasure comes from anything in this world more than Christ, then you are carousing, and communion with God will not happen. And not only that, but fellowship with God comes to a halt 
when the cares of this life consume the heart more than the Lord. Jesus paired the heart being weighted down with cares to drunkenness. Obsessive anxiety steals the heart and does so in a stealthier manner than even drugs or alcohol or sex. Who would think being weighted down in your heart with making a living, paying the bills, and enjoying the best and most modern conveniences would be a display of worldliness on par with the abuse of alcohol? But it is. For godly communion to be real to you, you must have weighed the two treasures and found the best life now viewed as lacking and insufficient. And you must have decided to possess Christ now and forever is the greatest treasure. Those investing in the best life yet to come know something very important, and they are experiencing it. They experience the worth and value of the blessed Lord Jesus. They are now living off the interest of that glorious future that awaits them. Communion is really two hearts giving themselves to each other and enjoying the same delights. My friend, give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let Him possess your heart. Let him make your heart fascinated with him above all other attractions. To have the heart engaged with him in this manner is not only the basis of fellowship, but is sweet fellowship itself. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please check out our website, realtruthmatters.com, for all our resources. It's been recently redesigned and more convenient to use, and I hope you will enjoy it as you check it out. Also, check out Real Truth Matters on your favorite social media, including Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. Especially, we request that you repost our material and share the ministry with others. We don't have a budget for advertising. We don't want to waste money like that. So we leave it to our listeners to advertise for us. So give us a rating on the podcast platform you enjoy listening to the RTM podcast. This podcast is so unlike so many religious and Christian podcasts today. It's all about biblical spirituality. It's practical, helping you to see how truth intersects with life and is the basis of experiencing the fellowship of God. Well, on behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening today. And may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.